0: Thanks, Jess, for our readings. Well, good evening, EC. My name's Seb, if I haven't met you before. And it's sad not to see many of your faces here tonight. I always do enjoy visiting EC. But though we're not together, let me still pray for our time in God's Word tonight. Our loving Father, we thank you that your Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword Able to discern even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Help us to respond to your word in obedience and trust tonight. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week I got to be in charge at my workplace. I was the boss for the week. I work at Crew, a Christian camps organization. And my role there is to manage the ministry team and help to train others in their theology. And the reason I got to be the boss for the week was because my boss is currently on long service leave. I needed a bit of convincing. I was conscious. We've just brought a newborn home recently. Our last son had an aversion to sleep when he came home. Plus, I had plenty of work to do in June. But I was told it'll all be very straightforward. It's the last week in June. Everyone will be on holidays or else on holiday camps. Well, can I just say that is not the way the last week played out. Crew had all their holiday camps cancelled and it was my job to help find meaningful work for some 40 or 50 staff in their first week of lockdown. Now, for some of you, the past week has been joyful. You're introverts. You like being at home. You enjoy not commuting. You're secretly hoping that this lasts a little longer. But for the rest of us, This past week has been prison, forced to wear masks, round-the-clock Zoom meetings, dealing with dark, rainy days cooped up inside, and we want to be set free! Which leads me to our passage in Acts 12, and to the big question I want you to ask yourself tonight, and it's this, who's in charge when the days are dark? If you're writing notes or appreciate some kind of outline we're going with a p theme tonight there are quite a few options out of acts 12 persecution peter passover prison protection providence but the three i've gone for tonight have to do with my aim for how i want us to respond to this passage this evening point one pray point two ponder and point three persevere or point one Verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Our scene opens with the king. His name is Herod. By all accounts, he appears to be in charge. Notice what he does. He arrests churchgoers and he executes an apostle. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll probably recognize that name, Herod. There were quite a few of them in the New Testament. This Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was not so great. during the death of all the babies, boys under two in the Christmas story. And he's the nephew of Herod of Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist and played a role in the execution of Jesus. You get the gist. This Herod is Herod of the first, and he is a chip off the old block. He's read the family manual, the Herodian motto probably had its own few Ps as well. Persecution, look at verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Politics, see what concerns him in verse 3. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now the Jews, despised the Herods. They were seen as Roman puppet kings, traitors. Well, Herod's strategy to keep the provincial peace for an enemy. Who better than the church? Paranoia. Notice the trouble Herod goes through in verse 4. Peter, one man, is guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Drop down to verse 6. Forced to sleep between two soldiers bound, between two, bound with two chains with sentries standing guard at the entrance. And of course, the most important P in the Herodian playbook, power. Why? Because in the world of Herod, there is only room for one crown. Elsewhere, Paul describes James, Peter, and John as pillars of the early church in Galatians 2. Herod goes for a knockout blow to take out two of the three pillars. In the leadership, make no mistake. Dark days for the church in Acts. Faced with fierce persecution and violent opposition, how the Christians respond in verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. In his commentary on Acts, John Stott summarizes the whole chapter like this. The chapter begins, James dead, Peter imprisoned, church in turmoil, Herod triumphs. The chapter closes, Herod dead, Peter freed, church rejoicing, the word triumphing. And I love this chapter in Acts because when things look so out of control, Christians are reminded what their reflex is to be, to go to God in prayer. Why? Because in a sentence, Acts 12 shows us the Lord Jesus is in complete control always, no matter how dark things appear. Well, I came across this book recently at a Christian conference written by an Australian author. I haven't read the book. I can't vouch for it personally, but the title did catch my eye. Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't. Here's a few sentences from the back cover. Have you noticed that recently Christian views aren't seen as merely false, but dangerous? Our opinion's no longer worth considering, but rather in need of silencing. The church used to be recognised as a force for good, but this is changing rapidly. Christians are now not often, now often seen as the bad guys, losing both respect and influence. Now, if those assertions about the church in the West are even half true, here's a question for you. Response B. I suggest two in light of this first section. Number one, expect to be opposed. Number two, pray. Expect to be opposed. In Acts, we see a pattern. The gospel moves forward, persecution comes back. Why should we expect it still today? Because we live in the same world as those early Christians, a world that rejects God's rule. Many of you will know the Lovell family here at church. Their dad, John, serves as executive director of CMS in Australia, the Church Missionary Society. I asked John this week if he could help give us some global perspective about gospel ministry around the world. Here's what he wrote back today. CMS recently had two different missionaries return to Australia from a location in Southeast Asia, where persecution of Christians continues as a very real part of life. CMS do not even publish the name of the country because that could put them and the lives of many local believers connected to them at risk. With a long history of civil war and unrest, many Christians are displaced with more than 100,000 living in camps where they are denied access to food and health care because of their faith. Buddhist extremists regularly attack churches, and Christians are forced to meet in secret in homes or work buildings. They are often denied education and employment opportunities and can be harassed or forced to flee their village if it is discovered that they are Christian. One of the CMS missionaries recently returned with assistance from the Australian government but continues to pray that it will be possible to return to continue serving among people who are facing a level of opposition which is difficult for most Australians to even imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that reply from John, I was reminded that when I'm faced with things like being stuck at home or restrictions, it's really easy for my world to shrink and to become very small and me-centred. And I know I need to be pushed, and maybe you do too, to enlarge my perspective, to enlarge my heart and to enlarge my prayers for CMS and for some of the 340 million Christians today who live with high levels of persecution just for following Jesus. And why is prayer the of time? Because when the days are dark, we need to remember all the more who's in charge. Which leads us to point two, ponder. Verses six to 17, and here we'll move more quickly. Verse six, Peter is in the ultimate lockdown. We're told it's a night before his trial. So what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. Ponder that for a moment. I don't know about you, but... To get a bad night's sleep before every exam I did. Well, this guy is about to be executed. He's in a concrete cell. You think your house sucks in lockdown? His is worse. Think of the chains, and yet he's sleeping like a baby, or at least someone else's baby. Is it possible to have such peace? Because Peter knows who's really in charge. He knows who the true king is. Well, look at what happens next from verse 7. An angel appears, light fills the cell. What? The verb in Greek usually means to strike someone down. It's used at the end of this chapter when Herod is struck down. This was one deep sleep. Maybe you have a housemate who's like that some mornings. Quick, get up. The chains slide off. Put on your clothes. Don't forget your shoes. Come on, follow me. It reminds me of trying to get Archie, our two-year-old, to crash on a Sunday, minus the chains. The scene is so surreal, verse 9, that Peter presumes he's seeing another vision, like he did with Cornelius. It's all a bit too easy. I mean, look at verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. Down the street they go. I mean, Shawshank Redemption would have been a lot shorter with guards and gates like these. Andy wouldn't have had to go to all that trouble with the chess pieces and the wall. And I think that's part of Luke's point in telling this story from a world's eye view Peter's situation is impossible. To Herod, Peter's been put in Alcatraz, chains, guards, gates, round-the-clock watches. but to God, saving Peter is effortless. Peter's passivity in the whole process is emphasized because we're not to get the wrong impression. This isn't a, isn't a prison break. Oh, well done, Peter. How clever are you? No, this is a prison rescue, a deliverance, or better yet, ponder this, a new exodus. Because there was another time when a people found themselves completely incapable of saving themselves against a ruler who thought he was a god. Which is why we had that long chunk from Exodus 12 read out earlier, because Luke isn't careless with the details he puts in this chapter. Verse 3, during the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4, intending after the Passover to bring him out. Verse 5, earnest prayer was made. Remember, the exodus was a night of watching. Verse 7, the angel tells Peter to get dressed quickly, echoing instructions from Exodus 12, 11, Put on your sandals, fasten your belt, Israel, be in haste, for soon the Lord will what? Strike. Peter is liberated. He's freed from captivity. In fact, the word exodus literally means to exhodos, which means to exit the way or road. Verse 10, the angel walks him out the gate and down a street. Peter is left with no doubt about who is in charge in this episode. Verse 11, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. God is in control. And the attention Luke draws to the Passover reminds us too that we have a God who loves to save, his heart is so filled with love that he sent his own son, Jesus, into the world to die in place of sinners on the cross so that the judgment for our sins might be passed over because of the infinite value of his son's blood. Elsewhere, 2 Peter 3 reminds us, the Lord is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance which means if you're tuning in tonight and you're not a Christian, the single best response that you could have to this message is to stop trying to run life your way. Stop trying to be in charge of your life and instead put your life under the lordship of Jesus. And if you decided to do that tonight you just might find that there is a spiritual light and a freedom that comes from being forgiven that you have always longed for but never been able to find. It's a decision not to be put off because there is a judgment coming. But more on that next week when Tony covers the end of the chapter with us. This week, our passage spotlights God's saving deliverance. And it seems to me that Luke might even want us to have a little chuckle as we imagine the scene from verse 12 onward. Peter's been freed from Herod's fortress, yet he finds himself locked out of the church's prayer meeting. Knock, knock, knock. Rhoda's so excited to hear Peter's voice, she runs inside to tell everyone. All the while, Jerusalem's most wanted man is left completely out on the open on the street. Knock, knock, knock. Inside the prayer meeting, someone's busy praying a very long-winded prayer. Oh, Lord, please help Peter. He must be very afraid. We all know that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we hope or could imagine. Peter's at the door! Rhoda very rudely interrupts. You're out of your mind! I am not! That's him knocking right now. Alas, it must be his angel. Lord, you were able to do far more abundantly. Oh, would someone get that wretched door? And they realized their mistake. Verse 17. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Well, we can laugh at the whole scene because the ironies serve to highlight how weak we are in our perspective and how strong and in control God is. Who's in charge when the days are dark? The true king is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so finally, point three, persevere. Very briefly, look with me at verses 18 and 19. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I bet there wasn't. Herod is left baffled, and after conducting a cross-examination, he has his own men executed. You see, Luke writes so that we can have certainty because this contest between kings is really no contest at all. Luke wants to leave us all in no doubt that though the opposition is real and painful, it is also downright foolish and self-defeating. And yet, let's not kid ourselves. There do come painful times in our lives When persevering is very hard, because we are left perplexed. I mean, how do you think the Apostle John felt if he was in that prayer meeting, hearing Peter describe his deliverance, left wondering, well, why is my brother dead? You and I, we're called to trust God, even when some prayers do go unanswered. Not because life is random. Not because God is powerless, not because of a bad roll of the dice. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. I remember in one of my final conversations ever with my grandfather Arthur in the months before he died, I asked him if he could share with me about some of the defining periods of his life. And so he let me record the conversation, and this is part of what he said verbatim. My 15 years of mission with OMF were life-changing for me. Probably because even though we were multi-racial, multi-evangelical, our team, we got along very well together. Even though we had our differences, that experience of all being one in heart, one in mind. It united us and it kept us united for the cross and for the Saviour. I used to use the Lord's prayer to pray because we wanted the tie to hallow God's name, not Buddha. Your kingdom come. We wanted your kingdom here on earth in Thailand. Your will be done not the will of evil spirits. On earth as it is in heaven. And that sort of summed up what we were in Thailand for, those three things particularly. But then he began crying as he said, Margaret and Megan were their names. They were two leprosy nurses who were taken captive by the robbers in South Thailand and they asked an impossible ransom, but the mission has a policy, no paying of ransoms. You pay one and you have to pay the next and the next. And so they were shot. And through tears, my grandpa said, it's those sorts of experiences that are very meaningful and life-changing. And they were difficult girls. The English girl in particular was very stubborn. She wanted to do it her way. But I thought, well, she's a martyr but she's not perfect and he chuckled through tears now why do you think those two nurses were taken home but my grandfather was spared till old age it is a mystery of God's providence James is called home to be with his Lord but Peter's time was not yet I was reminded at my grandpa's funeral of Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful saints. We persevere in dark days, not only because God is in charge, but because he is good and the advance of his gospel is unstoppable. Father, we thank you for this word tonight from Acts 12 and we pray that you would help us to pray, to ponder and to persevere that your son would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.